Now from the Milken Institute, responding to COVID-19, conversations with Mike Milken. I hope that this is an opportune time for all of us to reinvent our bodies, resurrect our souls, and also see how we can engage with each other to create more joy, happiness, and health. That's the only thing that ultimately will heal this planet. That's Deepak Chopra. He's the founder of the Chopra Foundation and Chopra Global, a world-renowned pioneer of integrative medicine and the author of 90 books, Dr. Chopra Seeks to Heal the Whole Body and the World Through a Blend of Western Science and Eastern Traditions of Mindfulness and Well-Being. He spoke with Milken Institute and Faster Cures Chairman Mike Milken on Monday, July 6th. Deepak, it is so great to be with you today. Thank you, Michael. And I'm so excited to be speaking to the real Deepak Chopra because I know you've created an avatar. What is your objective with it? How far can technology take your avatar? Traditionally speaking, neuroscience identifies three brains. The first brain is reptilian, which evolved about 300 million years ago. And it protects us in times of danger with what we call the fight or flight response. The second brain is called the mammalian brain or the emotional brain, which is only present in mammals, not in reptiles. Primates and other mammals have emotional brains. We have emotional brains. The emotional brain evolved 100 million years ago. And it's more recent than the reptilian brain, and we are triggered by emotions. The third brain is the intellectual brain, which is also referred to as the cortical brain. And that's only 4 million years old. Now, human beings have existed as homo sapiens for 200,000 years. And this intellectual brain, which you are the expert in, has evolved very rapidly in the last 15,000 years because of language. First oral language, and then written language, and then scientific language, mathematics. But now we have a fourth brain. It's called the digital brain. And this is the latest evolution of our brain. And the digital brain actually continues to learn with interaction with other intellectual brains, but also interaction with other digital brains. For example, my AI avatar, Digital Epoch, hopefully will soon be interacting with digital Obama and other people. And they'll both learn from each other. But Digital Deepak can also access libraries, including the Milken Library. Somebody asks a question, says, I don't know the answer. Let me go ask Mike Milken or somebody. So it's basically the latest evolution of human consciousness. That's what I call it. It'll grow after I die and it'll speak to my grandchildren and their grandchildren and learn from them and also tell them about this conversation which we're having right now. I take you back to 1993 when I was diagnosed with advanced cancer and given 12 to 18 months to live. And I quickly sought you out because I always believe that the mind could connect to the universe. And if you remember, I brought Lori with me. We went into this mind-body connection and how a person could heal themselves. And I, at the time, was very focused on how we could generate and strengthen our immune system 
And over the last almost 30 years, we've been very active funding that, and that would be the center of much of the new therapies today. And the connection of what I learned from you, the second brain, your digestive system in India, that you can change your microbiome in a very short period of time. So link your avatar to learning, to mind-body, and to our second brain. Michael, we've come a long way since 1993 because much of the science was not there, which is there today. You said mind can connect to a bigger universal mind, and this is one of the latest issues of New Scientist magazine from Britain. And you can see, is the universe conscious? It sounds implausible, but that's until you do the math. So this is 30 years later. (laughs) We were talking about this 30 years ago. Now, also 30 years ago, we did not know in Western medicine that 90% of our genetic information is not human. Only less than 10% of the genes that we have are human. Only 25,000 genes are required from our parents. Your father gave you half, mother gave you the remaining half, 25,000. But you have 2 million to 20 million extra genes that are bacterial. And they're called the microbiome, as you know. And as we were talking the other day, one teaspoon of soil under the surface of the rainforest in Amazon contains more genetic biodiversity than all the rainforests combined. So there's a planetary microbiome that recycles as our human gut microbiome. If we destroy that microbiome, which is happening in the Western world, 30% of the microbiome has disappeared. It has disappeared because of industrial food production, which is focused on especially meat production, which is factory animals are given antibiotics, hormones, inflammatory products, all kinds of preservatives, which totally inflames the animal and the animal microbiome. Also, there's food that has concentrated sugar or food that has been pumped up with steroids and antibiotics and inflammatory products like insecticides and pesticides. That destroys the microbiome. So 30% of the microbiome has disappeared. Right now, there's a big movement, farm to table, and even people who eat meat are advised that the meat should come directly from a farm without the intervention of a factory. But the bottom line is 90% of our genes, which we have in our body, are not human. The DNA is not human. They can be changed by our diet. So you can change 90% of the genetic information in your body. Now, if you add to that things like meditation, exercise, deep breathing, emotional engagement, good sleep, some connection with nature, then the 25,000 genes that you have that are human, you can't change them. You got them. That was like the deck of cards that was dealt when you were conceived. You can't change them, but you can change their activity. That's called epigenetics. And every experience changes the activity of this gene. So right now, as we're speaking, the genes that regulate the activity of our brain are changing as a result of this conversation. 
It's amazing. We didn't know that. Every experience changes genetic activity. Now we know that the pillars of well-being like sleep, meditation, mindfulness, mind-body coordination, deep breathing, emotional resilience, love, compassion, joy, empathy, equanimity, connection with nature, all these things can actually upgrade the human genes too. We just did a study with Elizabeth Blackburn, a Nobel laureate, where within one week, we showed that in a retreat setting with the proper diet and meditation, we change the genetic expression of human genes dramatically. So genes that cause self-regulation, homeostasis, healing, went up 17-fold over baseline. The enzyme telomerase, which regulates how we age, went up 40%. And finally, genes that cause inflammation went down drastically. Gene expression is a complex interaction of how we live our lives, how we think, how we behave, how we speak, what we eat, how we interact with each other, how we behave in a civil society influences gene expression. No drug can replicate that. That is why, if you remember, for two years, I did not eat anything except fresh vegetables I remember. fruit because I didn't want to change whatever their molecular makeup was. And you gave me my short mantra, my 15-minute mantra. Yes. And my hour and a half mantra, my long mantra. And then I was going into MRI machines constantly that took an hour and a half. I told you that March 93, I needed a long mantra so that I could put myself out in a trance. And when I told you that I've always believed in the force, you can feel it when something's going right or something's going wrong. People call it a sixth sense. But to me, you can sense it. And the week that I had spent with you dramatically has changed how I've lived my life over the past 27 years, Deepak. So Thank you, Michael. I think what they call miraculous healings are epigenetic modifications of gene activity that decrease inflammation, activate the genes for self-regulation and homeostasis, and decrease the gene activity of those genes that cause inflammation. And of course, we now know that the microbiome plays an important part as well. So we may soon have a science, I hope it's already there, for what people used to call miraculous healings, but today they call them spontaneous remissions. There's nothing spontaneous actually about them. The evidence of inner healing, because our body is built over millions of years of evolution to regulate itself. It's a natural thing. We call it homeostasis. It's not a miraculous thing. It's just what the body does. Every biological organism knows how to self-regulate. But now we have the science. And, you know, incidentally, much of the science owes a lot of gratitude to you because you are the first one to show that prostate cancer can be reversed. You're the first one to show through your example, but also through all the science that we can reverse prostate cancer. And the future of medicine and well-being will be exactly that, very precise, very personalized, very predictable, very measurable, and also through deep learning and through artificial intelligence, ways to accelerate that. We can actually take somebody before and after and see how genes change. That science was not there 30 years ago. We're an unusual point in history. The coronavirus, which is spread throughout every country in the world, 
most of the people that have died is because they hadn't seen this virus and so they called up their immune system. And the analogy we made was all the branches of the military, the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, and the Coast Guard have been called up. And this overstimulation of the immune system eventually is affecting the lungs, breathing, etc., and has, with pneumonia, been the major cause of death. In the cancer area, as we've developed these immunology agents over the last three decades, particularly, in order to succeed, they had to control the immune system so that as they energized the immune system to deal with cancer, they were still strong enough to put your cancer into remission, but not that strong that they caused you to lose your life through an overstimulation. So in the prevention area, what could we do if we do get the virus to lessen its effects? So we know if you have high blood pressure, it can affect you. So how can we reduce our hypertension? We know if you have diabetes, it can affect you negatively and more seriously. So what can we do? And with a large percentage of the population pre-diabetes, is there a way in prevention we could interact? How have you viewed the first six months of 2020 and this coronavirus that has gripped the world? And what learnings could we apply here? Michael, this is a very important question. In fact, I had the opportunity because we're all sequestered and we're all under quarantine. We have the opportunity to look at all the research and all the data. As you mentioned earlier, the elderly who get sick have some kind of chronic illness already. Diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune illness, maybe another infection. And when you look at these people, they also have chronic low-grade inflammation, all of them. So low-grade inflammation and elderly people on several medications with chronic illness are at risk already. But the young people who are getting sick and dying from it, in addition to the chronic inflammation, which they may or may not have, they have acute inflammation. Acute means they have an inflammatory storm. It's called a cytokine storm. And all the people who are getting sick right now are having those cytokine storms. What causes the cytokine storm? Numerous things, but predominantly stress. So when we are stressed, the sympathetic nervous system goes on overdrive, overstimulation, that causes these storms. We can prevent these through lifestyle, through deep breathing, through meditation, and through change in diet. So answer to your question in one line would be do everything possible to decrease inflammation. So we see in cancer, Deepak, as you know, that probably 60 to 65% of all cancers can be traced to inflammation. I mean, what I've learned over five or six decades is it's hard to preach to a person for them to change. If they can have self-discovery in any way, their view of the world might change. Now, my view of the world changed dramatically because I needed to find a way to sustain my life. And I had lost 10 relatives to cancer. Mine was more advanced than theirs. And I had to think, what did they not do? None of them changed their diet. None of them meditated. None of them attempted to change their lifestyle. But we're totally dependent on whatever Western medicine was at that time in history. How do you interact with groups where 
this is not what they've learned. You start from where they are. 100 years ago, the average age of a human being in the United States was 49 years. Our grandparents, their generation, the average age. You're speaking about life expectancy was 49. Life expectancy, 49 years. Today, the fastest growing segment of the American population is over the age of 100. Fastest growing segment. So it's, it's dramatic in the last 100 years. The major scourges of humanity have been wiped out, like smallpox or the plague. But we still have in the world tuberculosis, malaria, and some of these diseases are still there. But in our society here, there's very little tuberculosis and malaria. There's AIDS is still a problem. But now we have modern epidemics, as you said, hypertension, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune illnesses, and these unusual infections that occur as mutations of viruses because I believe of an unsustainable stressed ecosystem of the microbiome. We still have to prove that, but I think that's going to be the new science. How do do mutations occur as a result of the stressed microbiome, inflamed microbiome? But today also, the good news is that almost every medical school gives students an option to train or get some training in what is called integrative medicine. So at UCSD, where I'm a professor in the Department of Public Health, we have medical students now taking internships and residencies with integrative medicine in mind. That's a huge development. The technology part, unfortunately, is not coming from academia. It's coming from startups in California and Silicon Valley and people like yourself. The future is ultimately unpredictable, but it looks amazing to me at the moment, especially because we have science and technology to measure. You see, 30 years ago, this was not measurable. Today, because it's measurable, I see a very bright future. And what was science fiction then is becoming science today. One of the interesting developments was taking the good bacteria out of a person that responded well to a treatment and putting in an individual who was not. We can see the change by just moving this bacteria around, and that is why we created that new periodic table. Beautiful. All fruits and vegetables, and one of the elements, as you pointed out, was dirt. Yes. And when we see and look at Israel where peanut allergy is extremely rare because when the children are born, they start giving them a little bit of peanuts in their formula or their milk. It kind of reverses everything we thought. And by sheltering our children and not letting them play in the dirt, we are depriving them of many of the things that could protect them later in life. And let's talk about how AI can propel the future here. So you spoke to us about your avatar that will absorb your knowledge. Now, we've had movies where you've seen a person download themselves into the mainframe of computer so that their intellect can live. Take us to AI and tell us where you think it'll lead us. Artificial intelligence deep learning systems, VR, augmented reality, new algorithms that correlate between what's happening in the mind, the brain, the body, and genetics are the new collaboration amongst 
science and technologists. There's no limit to this. Of course, as you know, any technology can be used for harmful purposes as well. Nuclear technology allows us to destroy the world with nuclear weapons. We have biohacking now and bioterrorism. We have all kinds of hacking occurring through the digital technologies of the world. So what is the internet? The internet is the collective human brain. That's how I look at it. And the collective human brain is evolving and you want to see the human condition, just go on the internet. There's everything from sacred to profane, divine to diabolical and everything in between. But with the new technologies, we also know something very interesting. In fact, the COVID-19 epidemic has shown us that. One thing we're realizing now is climate change is probably reversible. In the last six months, the bees have come back. 90% of nutrition on this planet is bees, fruits and vegetables. They were disappearing. Now they're back. So that means the ecosystem can be repaired. Climate change is reversible. Fish are returning to their dead lakes. Even the canals of Venice are seeing fish now. People can breathe in Bangalore. You can see the Himalayas from 400 miles away. Birds are singing. Asthmatics in Hyderabad are breathing for the first time. Point I'm making is there's evidence that climate change is reversible, number one. Number two, we're also recognizing there's possibility of an oil-free economy. When the price of petroleum falls to less than zero, you know something's going on. When George Gilder, your friend, starts talking about cryptocurrencies, you know something is going on. So I believe this COVID has actually given us a time to rethink and reimagine the world. How do we repair the ecosystem? How do we repair the microbiome, which is reversible? How do we create a more socially just and economically just world and society? Black Lives Matter is part of that. There are many things that are happening right now where artificial intelligence, digital avatars, a global brain that can be rewired through the internet will take us to an era where I hope If we are sensible, we'll be able to create a more peaceful, just, sustainable, joyful, and healthier world. Otherwise, we'll have missed the opportunity. And technology and deep learning and artificial intelligence are going to be a very crucial part of that. How do you see the world changing from this coronavirus? Will we understand how dependent we are on each other more? Will we sense each other more? What have you seen? as you've spoken and interacted with people all over the world? What I'm seeing, Michael, is the desire to connect at a deeper level and also more empathy and compassion and love in action. I believe that love without action is meaningless and action without love is irrelevant. But when love and action come together, which they are, then we can achieve this more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier and joyful planet. We will see a revision of everything, including how we deal with international trade. Stock markets will change through different kinds of ecosystems and currencies. Hopefully a healthier planet, hopefully more social and economic justice, less racism. All that is now up for grabs and we can see that it's happening actually. We can see as we look out, ecosystem is repairing. We can see that people are now questioning racial injustice. I hope that this is an opportune time for all of us to reinvent our bodies, 
resurrect our souls and also see how we can engage with each other to create more joy, happiness and health. That's the only thing that ultimately will heal this planet. And that requires a lot of international cooperation. It will require a different kind of dialogue where it's not I win and you lose. It's all evolved and I think it is. And the great work you're doing with the Milken Institute is part of that whole and the American dream, which is all part of that vision. Today, scientists are also, social scientists are talking of something called emergence. And what they say is when you have maximum diversity of talent, humanitarians, philosophers, poets, entertainers, storytellers, but also philosophers, scientists, technology people, you put them all together, shared vision, maximum diversity, complementing everybody's strengths, then emergence happens. This is a new science. And I think we are going to see global emergence through collective intelligence and artificial intelligence who can harness collective intelligence. It's no longer Einstein made the biggest discoveries of humanity or somebody did this and that. That'll still happen. But ultimately, collective creativity, collective vision, and collective intelligence is the thing we need to nurture to create a new world. Well, I think the dual challenges we've seen, coronavirus in the world, and maybe the last steps to eliminate injustice at every level and discrimination will cause us to change. Both you and I have been trailblazers for so many years here. And it's interesting to see yourself, Deepak, as the world catches up to you. You move farther out again. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being part of this adventure. We have still more adventures to undertake. Find more episodes on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or milkeninstitute.org slash podcast, where you'll also find the latest COVID-19 updates. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.